am Rosie, and you're listening to Taste Vampire, a podcast where I interview my friends and people cooler than me about the art that they make and the art that inspires them. Um, this episode is with my friend Christian Morandi. Um, he's a noise musician. He's, well, an experimental electronic musician, um, and he's got a lot of really interesting things to say. I'm not going to spoil the interview. You're about to listen to it, but he's coming from sort of a different perspective, and I think that that's pretty cool. Uh, we Heads up, you know, the first 10 minutes of the interview is basically us uh, talking about the McElroy brothers from uh, the Maximum Fun Network, and if you don't, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm giving you a heads up, but I'm not apologizing because they're awesome. Um, but then we sort of get into more serious stuff. So without further ado, let's start the interview. Well, I mean, I, I'm like really embarrassed about my recording setup. It's like really, really bad. Yeah. I just, like, I probably should be embarrassed, but I'm just a bum. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like... Oh, I have this, like, Swedish, uh, like, little mini synthesizer called an OP-1, and it has a recording interface in it, and, but for some reason there's all this weird, like, like clock noise from, I guess, like, the microprocessor that's in it, and it just makes for... Like all these artifacts on recordings, I haven't been able to figure. I think it might be tied to the, how much batteries in it, but I like just don't chase the problem down, and I just kind of like take it, Roll like, it the, the, you know, yeah. ask, like well, you know, accept like accept it for what it is, kind of thing. Great. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of feel that way to you, just sort of in general with the. Po- I just I know that like when I because I listen to like a ton of podcasts at my job. It's like a, I, I work a desk job. Mm-hmm. Like I have eight hours a day to dedicate to listening to these shows. I listen to a lot of them and I don't care about sound quality. Right. Like I like, as long as it's audible, like the difference between ones that are clearly professionally done and ones that aren't like, I don't, well, it see, does not impact my I, enjoyment. I think at it all. kind of adds character to like what you're listening to. So I listen to this podcast called My Brother, My Brother. And oh my God, so do I. Oh my God. <laughs> so like, I listen to like all of the McElroy family of products. So do I. Called. I actually just started listening to Still Buffering, which uh, is like. I Sydney haven't listened to it yet. Sydney and the sister. sister. Well, and <laughs> did you, did, have you checked out Cool Games Inc. or anything like that? Or, no, uh, or the Adventure no, Zone? I, need, I listen to Adventure okay. Zone sometimes. I want to start There's watching Monster... What, Monster Factory? Monster Factory. Because uh, uh, like Griffin my is my favorite one of Me them. Me too! <laughs> I love Griffin. I, like, I, I would say that like Griffin McElroy sustains me through my day more than like any other person on this planet. I love him. And that's saying something. Like, they're so good. But the the whole that, family. I just... I oh, want to listen, the, I wanna the listen to their dad's radio show for yeah I like I feel like I feel like they should just like to be taking that and releasing it as like a weekly podcast because people would absolutely like all his like fully work that he does and stuff but the thing about my brother my brother me is that like if you listen to it like Justin's always very close mic'd like you don't really get a lot of like sense of what like the size room he's in Travis must be in a room with like a lot of reflection because there's all this kind of like reverberation that like yeah and Travis is in LA so you feel like maybe Travis is like doing it somewhere right like or he's doing it like a Starbucks or something but uh, and uh, Griffin's is always like uh, like you can hear the sound of the room especially when he laughs really loud you'll hear that like like you know he's in some kind of big room but I don't know. I feel like that contributes to the show. And when you listen to the old episodes where, like, one of their, like, Skype calls is screwed up and, like, the I resolution's really low. I love low. it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, like, and that show, like, I, I also, I love it because of the sibling dynamics because I've got two sisters and I, like, 
I do think that siblings who get along with each other are really funny together yeah, because absolutely. you just got like my brother and I slay each other. I don't think we make anybody else laugh. Right. Well, like me and me and my sisters, like the three of us together. I do actually like I I've wanted to do like a rip off episode. Like just <laughs> yeah. I think I think anybody that listens to it that has like even one sibling has had that thought like. I could do this. I like, can... like, just do one, like, rip off, like, tribute episode, like, a cover episode with just me and my sisters, because we, like, we're funny together, and, like, you know, like, absolutely. we got a similar sibling dynamic, too, I really do feel that I'm a Justin, right. and, like, my sister Hannah is definitely the Travis in terms of that she's definitely going to be the most successful out of all of us, right. but she's the least but funny, you need, but, but you she's need the most the... mainstream. Well, is she like Travis in the sense that, like, she just says things that are, like, completely off the wall? And not rooted in reality, yes. but like believes them like fervently to be yes. true. Because that's yes. sort of like what Travis brings. Travis sort of dispenses like the only like good advice, but then also but also the but, most bullshit. Did you hear the other day when he was talking about he saw like, a movie that was <laughs> yes! shot in the wrong yes! aspect yes! ratio? Yes! And he's like, yeah, there's like there's like uh, you can see the cameras and like boom microphones, and Griffin's just like, what are you, you talking yeah, about? Did you like are you on acid? Yeah. Like, before the recording of this podcast, <laughs> and Ellie's totally the Griffin, my little sister, in terms of the she's like the smartest and the funniest but she's definitely like a weirdo but yeah like I I definitely relate to Justin in that I'm like the drunk one who like is trying to be an adult the most but like not necessarily succeeding have you you checked out Rose Buddies yet? I have been meaning to check out Rose Buddies I don't even watch watch I don't watch The Bachelor and it almost like doesn't matter I think it's (laughs) I just, I think I just like hearing the sound of Griffin's voice. I, just I do too. Find it, it very it soothing me, for some it reason. It makes me feel like happy. <laughs> I, I really, I love them. I think they're great. But yeah, yeah, my, uh, my brother, my brother, and me, Matt Broy podcast yeah, in general. Max, MaxFun.org. <laughs> I am a donor. To oh, me too. <laughs> I tweet at Jesse Thorne sometimes, and sometimes he tweets me back, and I have this, like, long game fantasy that someday my podcast will be on next month. So it's funny that you mentioned that. So I, I, I revived my Twitter account only to interact with the McElroys. So far, Gr- uh, Griffin liked one of my tweets, and Justin uh, responded to me, ironically enough, about an audio uh, quality issue that I was like, I completely was like, I have no idea how to help him, but I'm going to say something in the hopes that he'll interact with me. I was sort of successful to that end. I, yeah, I, I use my Twitter like at least half just to interact <laughs> with podcasts. Do, do you just, tweet, you just like. tweet hashtag the zone cast no matter what to try to get named as a character <laughs> on the adventure zone? Well, and it made me start playing D&D. Like, I found okay, crew so of people. Okay, so I really want to start playing D&D. I, like, got a crew together and we, like, made characters and stuff and then it just, like, never went anywhere. What was your character? Do you remember? No, this was like two years ago. This is before Adventure Zone. I just like I got really into Magic the Gathering late in life. And by late in life I mean not not in middle school. Um and, and then I was like, you know, let's push this to the next level. Like there is like a big range of nerdy boys who will love me on the strength of this. Like well, I, I mean, should, like There's like there's something that about excuse me, how open ended like D&D is that just makes it like really alluring also I like I like playing pretend and you're not allowed to play pretend as an adult but things like D&D are this like weird right, they're like this construct that like helps you go back into it, it legitimizes like, yeah. your, your fantasy behavior 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm into it. Okay, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Christian Morandi. Um, and That's uh, how you pronounce your last name? Yeah. A lot of people, like, so I think uh, I'm, also, I'm in the military, and everybody in my unit has been incorrectly pronouncing my last name for the entire term of my enlistment. And I just let them roll with it. Um, I think they know by now. I think they've heard enough people that correctly pronounce it, but... Um, but everybody is called, like, I thought it was Miranda, and Miranda, Miranda, no, it's Miranda. Uh, we think it is, I mean, we don't, we don't even really know, like, where the name came from, but it's, uh, maybe French or Italian, I'm not really sure. Did you grow up around here? Yeah, so I grew up in Bucks County, uh, which is, uh, a suburb north of Philadelphia, it's about 20 miles north of Philadelphia. Um, I've lived here, I've lived in Philadelphia on and off for... Um, the better part of the last, like, decade, decade and a half, something like that. So, like, where, where in Bucks County? Uh, I grew up in a town called... Because I grew, I grew up in Philly, like, Okay, um, so, but, um, Bucks County, uh, I grew up in, uh, Lower Makefield, which is near Yardley. It's a okay. town, like, right on the Delaware River. Okay, so, yeah, um, it's, it's a bleak part of, bleak part of the area. Was it bleak for you? I feel well, like Yardley, I just think heroin addicts. So, well, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, um, there's definitely, like, a lot of problems with, like, people using hard drugs there. I actually had two friends pass away this year from, like, long term, like, they were basically, like, functional heroin addicts. Um, Yardley is, the, that part of Lower Bucks is an interesting place, because you have um, a lot of, kind of, uh, communities that are sort of unrelated that directly abut one another. You have this, like, very urban area with Trenton that directly abuts Marsville, and that abuts Levittown, which is sort of, like, sort of like a nominally blue-collar area. Yeah. And then that abuts Yardley, which kind of goes out into the country and Upper Makefield and Upper Bucks, which is like a, a much nicer area. And so you have all of these people interacting. Um, but no, I mean, I, I absolutely loved growing up there. I loved growing up uh, by the river. Um, there were lots of great like parks. And I mean, it's not like, you know, going on intense hikes or anything, but just lots of opportunities to be outside and be in the woods. Well, my ex grew up, or he didn't grow up there, but he lived um, from, for like high school and the end of middle school on... Um, I'm Milford, New Jersey, which I feel like is kind of like yeah, it's, it's like near across, sort of like across the river from New Hope. You're like yeah, I, th- I think Milford is north of New Hope. It's directly it is, across it from is it north is of New Lambertville. Hope. Yeah, yeah, but it's close to Lambertville. It's like they would drive to Lambertville to get dinner type situations. Mm-hmm. So it's not that far. But like, and I had never spent any time up there until I, I like went up there with him, and it's it's super beautiful. Oh, it's over absolutely there. beautiful. Like, it's not quite like bucolic, but it's um, it's getting there. It's got a lot of like, it's not even like small town appeal. I don't really know how to describe it. I mean, there's um, the name of the name of him is escaping me. And I don't really know too much about visual art, but there's this like impressionist painter who did all these really beautiful paintings. Um, you can see him, I think, in the the uh, Mishner Museum in Doylestown of, like, these Impressionist paintings of, um, uh, the, uh, the Delaware River Valley and, like, uh, in, in all the seasons. And it's just, it's just an absolutely gorgeous place to live. Um, I really feel like it was, it's, it's something that I've never really wanted to leave. I've talked to, um, Jason Lesklete about this, and that's kind of how he feels about Maine, where it's, like, he, I think he, he grew up there and he has this kind of, like, in like innate attraction to it that he can't explain or shake, but it's like deeply a part of who he is. I mean, I I know that it's like not the same, but I you know having grown up in Philadelphia, I I feel that way about here in terms of that. Every time I've tried to live somewhere else, which has been limited, 
I, and I mean, first of all, like, I've heard from everybody who's, like, moved around a lot is, who's, like, been a mature adult who's capable of relocating, like, that, like, it takes, like, a year anywhere you go, you right. know, that, like, no matter how great the place that you've moved is, it's going to take a year for you to, like, feel like, and I've never made it a year. I've never really lived any, I mean, I lived in Texas when I, um, when I was going through my initial active duty training, I spent, like, close to a year there. I never liked it. I mean, to be fair, it was, like, North Texas, and it was, like, that was a bleak, I mean, like, fairly impoverished, um, and, I mean, anywhere there's a military base, it's generally, like, an impoverished community around it, because the government buys land where it's cheap, but there was just kind of, like, nothing, and it was a lot of just sort of open prairie, and I could never really adjust, but I never felt comfortable there. Yeah, I mean, like, when I was... In high school, the beginning of high school, I lived in Cambridge in England for two years. My parents had, like, a midlife crisis, and we went and lived there. Um, Not a bad place to go, all things considered. Oh, no. And it ultimately, the and the second year, actually, was... The first year was the most miserable year of my entire life, probably. I, I mean, eighth grade is a tough time for anybody to move. Oh, to be sure. I, like, you know, had my first romance, which of course was with a girl at my all-girls school, who like, then decided that she wasn't gay well, and outed went, me to the whole school. I also went to an all-boys uh, school, so I know I know that scene pretty well, yeah. too. Yeah! <laughs> For three years. It's like, I, you know, like, I'm wearing a school uniform, but I'm, like, coming from Philadelphia, so I, like, you know, I'm, like, trying to, like, roll it up, and I'm just, like, a mess, and I, like... You know, you had to wear, like, school shoes, so I got, like, the low Doc Martens, and I was just, like, like, I, I was a mess. But but it ultimately was super formative. I mean, like, that's, like, where I started, like, listening to punk music and, like, hating life enough to, like, be, you know, like, I was, like, a pretty positive person until I, I probably, like, wouldn't be who I am if I hadn't, sure. you know, gone there. But since then, like, since I've, you know, been an adult or whatever, the only places I've lived that aren't Philly are New Orleans and D.C., and New Orleans, I would have liked if I had any money, and D.C., I would never like. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've only limited experience with both of them. I like New Orleans, though. I mean, I've been there. I went there a couple times after um, uh, Katrina to volunteer, and I always... I mean, for the state that it was in, for, for being a pretty... I think it was already a pretty financially depressed place, and the um, and, and even out in the suburbs, it was, like, pretty rough, but it still was... A, it's a very charming place. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. And there, like, the place that I was, I was living in Jefferson, Louisiana, which is, like, just east of New Orleans along so the Mississippi. On the other side of the lake? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, just, like, along, if you, like, walk that Mississippi River Trail or whatever mm-hmm. east from New Orleans and you go, like, past the Garden District and past, like, the college and stuff like that and you just keep going... Then you hit Jefferson. It's, like, the first, like, suburb outside or whatever. I don't even know if it counts as a suburb, but it's, like, tiny, tiny little town with, like, a Windessie and a gas station with amazing chicken. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it seems to be, like, a staple then. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, like, yeah, I thought it was beautiful. I just, like, I didn't have any money. Like, I was on the lamb. Or I thought I was on the lamb. (laughs) That's a story that's that's been told on the podcast before. But... Um, Do you have an episode reference in case I want to go back? <laughs> it's, like, been mentioned in, like, at least four or five. If, has if, it, if has it ever been told in its entirety? Does it bear telling again here? Um... <laughs> I just, like, for, for continuity's sake. For continuity's I just want to make sure that it's right, available. I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick run through. I uh, was selling hash. Um, my friend was mailing it to me from California. And the... 
post office confiscated a package. I thought that they stole it, it or I thought that the police confiscated it because I called and asked where it was and they said that the police confiscated it, but they did not. There was no warrant. There's no nothing. Like, but like on the phone, they were like, "Yeah, the the cops came in with like the dogs, so like they're probably going to be showing up at whatever address, which was my parents' house." Right. So I was just like, "All right, fuck. I, I guess I'm leaving." So I like threw my phone in a trash compactor, withdrew all the money from my bank account, didn't bring my ID, made up a fake name, and me and my boyfriend at the time got on the first bus out of Philadelphia, which was going to Jacksonville, and Jacksonville was a hellscape, so we found ourselves in New Orleans, and we were there. very exciting. My life is never exciting. We were there for a while until until we decided to, like, just until check. Until the, the heat was off. Well, we just, we were like, you know, it had been, like, two or three months, and we were like, let's see what's going on back at home, and it was like, oh, nothing ever happened. Everyone thought you guys died. Like, you know, it was just like, oh, okay, I guess we can come back now. Um, Lesson learned. Hopefully. But, well, yeah, I haven't gotten any more drugs in the mail since then. Um... <laughs> But it's a shame it was some good money. I mean, that hash was dope.
like, was there music in your house? Where did you like grow up in a musical household? I mean, my parents didn't play any instruments, but I think that my parents had pretty good taste in music. My my mom is like a, a big listener to like uh, XPN to this day. Or my parents too. Yeah. <laughs> so there was like you know my mom liked David Bowie and Lou Reed and Talking Heads and some other some other like cool stuff. Uh, my dad liked the Police. And uh, I, I mean, I definitely took like little bits of that. Like I always liked how the synthesizer sounded on the Police albums, even though I don't do anything like that. I still think it sounds nice. So, what's like the first music that you remember liking that wasn't like parent-driven? It wasn't parent-driven. Um, I definitely, I definitely when I was like when I was in away at boarding school, I started to really like Rage Against the Machine. And when did you go to boarding school? I went to boarding school for 9th, 10th, and 11th grade. Where? I went to the Phelps School in Malvern oh, okay. for two years, and then I went to the Church Farm School in Exton. And I kind of, it was sort of a fleeting love affair. I think by the time I was done high school, I wasn't really interested in that kind of stuff. I, mean, I kind of moved on to your more traditional experimental rock that kids listen to. Right? How, come, how, how come you went to boarding school? My parents were trying to give me a... A leg up. They were trying to, um, they were trying to sort of cater to what they thought were like, um, like my my learning needs and my. They were, you know, they were they were being good parents. They were they were kind of going above and beyond, trying to help me out. And you wanted to go to boarding school. No, I didn't want to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> to drag me kicking and screaming. Because I, mean, I wanted to go for a little bit. My little sister Did you think it was going to be like Harry Potter? Because there, no. there was 0% owls, not even like male delivery owls. There was nothing like that. It's I mean, it wasn't... No, well, my little sister went to Simon's Rock. Okay, um, see, that's the kind of place I, I probably should have That's, that's like what I... Because I, I just like was born as fucking school. Like, I sucked at school, but it wasn't because like I was bad at it, like in terms of academically. I just like was bored. So then because I was bored, I would do dumb things like... You know, instead of just, like, doing my homework, I'd do a pro-smoking campaign. <laughs> and on all of the, uh, all of the, like, health health boards or whatever where they had all the anti-smoking ads, I'd, like, print out full-color pro-smoking ads with, like, pictures of literally smoking cigarettes. You know, it's just, like... Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna make the case to high schoolers... I was just, like, bored as fuck. So, like, instead of doing work, I just, like, was a dissident, and I always felt like, like, I, like, could... If I was doing something interesting in school... I actually, like, I finished high school I, a year early. I went to alternative school. Also, outright near Exton, I went to Abatinas. Um, it's kind of sounds familiar. It's an alternative school, yeah. so I was going, like, three days a week and doing two days independent study, but they had, like, a glass-blowing studio and, like, the whole sort of... It was a democratic school, so, like, they tried to, like, make a rule that students couldn't make out on campus, and we voted them down because students had equal <laughs> votes and stuff. So, like, that place was great. Like, honestly, if, like, I had gone there the whole time, that would have worked, too. But I always wanted to go to boarding school because I felt like, like, I would like school if I just, like, if it was... Actually, I think I think my problem was that I had already formed very solid friendships with people who didn't go to boarding school, and I felt kind of like maybe slighted or robbed that I didn't that I you know I got to interact with them like you know you know on the weekends or every other weekend or something like that. I mean, did you feel isolated at boarding school? Did you make friends there? Was that the all boys school that you're referencing? They were both all boys schools. I definitely made friends, especially at the first one. 
Um, I, I had uh, I have some friends that I'm still relatively close with today, um, but at the second one, I definitely was feeling like very isolated. I wasn't doing well academically. I was very frustrated. Um, I felt like it was you know it was <laughs> very challenging material being presented, and it wasn't anything I was particularly interested in. Um, so you know that that has historically not been something that is you know I can throw myself into things academically if there are things that I'm interested in, but. Oh, same. Yeah, I'm, I'm so, like, flighty about the whole thing. Like, I can be, like, so driven and so able to learn things really quickly if I'm interested, and if I'm not, then just, like, yeah, go ahead and <laughs> shove it down my throat all you want. I'll, I will get none of it, <laughs> you know? And, and then when, you know, you're evaluated on it, you're kind of like, well, I got nothing for you. Yeah, so. exactly. But so, so the Rage Against the Machine thing, but then, like... What's the experimental music that you were getting into? Well, I mean, the thing about Raging as a Machine that interested me was mostly just him making weird noises. I think, like, you know, some of, like, the leftist politics appealed to me, but... Um, of course, But, yes. like, you know, it was definitely, like, your, your standard uh, high school experimental stuff, like Sonic Youth and you know, Lou Reed's, like, Metal Machine music and Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Right. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it was all fine. I still... I mean, I still, um... Yeah, and there was definitely some like kind of more standard indie rock in there, like pavement. It was, uh, you know, I liked I liked what my friends liked. Also, you know, I hadn't kind of formed that. I hadn't kind of assessed the need to to decide. I'm going to find things that I like, you know, right. on my own merits. But that's what. Did I you have an about. interest in making music at that point, or not really? Yeah, I, I started playing the bass when I was I don't know maybe eighth or ninth grade, and then I, I never. I, I took to it for a little bit, and then I started playing the guitar, and I, and again, it was it was kind of all, always out of like necessity. It was kind of like, well, you know, like this is gonna be my venue to like making weird music. Um, you know, I didn't. It had never occurred to me that like, not only I could plug like a mixer back into itself and you know like make music with that, but there was like a whole scene of people that were doing that. It was you know something that was t- or that people like you know made recordings of like of birds and release them, you know, like, sort of earnestly, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't really aware of that until, um, I got out of high school for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, me neither for, for like long <laughs> after I, I got out of high school. The only experience I had, actually, of, like, sort of experimental electronic music as a teenager was actually XPN Driven. It was right. Echoes and, um... Oh, the, the, yeah. uh, the XPN show? Yeah, the yeah. Well, well my, uh, my mom... Like, the person whose house I was actually conceived in, he's, like, um, in a band, a space music band with one of the, the DJs on that. Um, I forget his name. Um, well, not, not the person whose house I was conceived in, but the DJ. But basically, so, like... My only experiences of people doing that were these old hippie dudes sure. who were like, you know, just like doing very doing stuff still with conventional instruments to some extent, but like distorting it so much with pedals and stuff that it wasn't intelligible and a lot of like synth related stuff. And I didn't think that there was anybody my age who would, like I thought it was interesting because I like started taking acid in high school, so like obviously thought it was interesting, but like sure, I mean, it, you know, it, it, I guess it lends itself. But I mean, I, I always listened to WPRB in Princeton, so I was kind of became more and more peripherally aware. So you guys got WPRB where you lived. What's, oh yeah, we got WPRB, and you know, and I would go to Princeton. Right that radio station. station rules. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, I remember hearing stuff on there and being like, I need to investigate this more. I remember buying um, a Vladimir Ushashevsky 
is his name. He was a he was a founder of the Columbia Princeton Tate Music Center in like the early fifties. And I bought some kind of compilation of him and this other guy auto looning uh, their work, which you know, in kind of reading the liner notes were very detailed, and they were just kind of talking about how they used reel to reels. And by this point, I guess you know, I was sort of aware of people like you know, like John Cage and. Um, um, the more popular experimental composers from that era. I mean, I guess Cage almost came after those people. He's like, Zanakis and stuff like that. But but it was Ustashevsky stuff that was you know definitely like, immediately resonated with me. Where I was like, I not only do I love this, I like I can do this. Like I had inherited a tape machine by that point and just started recording whatever onto it and then cutting the tape up and and that was you know eighteen or nineteen. I was I was deep. So this is when, so you're out of high school. What did you do out of high school? So I spent, um, I spent the first, like probably the first half of my 20s uh, going to community college with mixed levels of success, working a lot of uh, kind of temp industrial jobs. I worked in an ice cream cone factory for a little while. Guy, my first day there, uh, my the supervisor cut his finger off with the machine that made the ice cream cones and we had to go to the hospital um and the actual like it was it was he was from sri lanka there were four women from mexico who did not speak any english and me and then there was a boss the boss in the back who the only thing i remember about him is he would play he would play mandolin and he gave me a book about hitler and ufos and like all that whole kind of like uh there's a name for like that whole conspiracy about like them living in antarctica the hollow earth stuff but he was like a he was a pretty fervent believe adherent to that um, to that that belief. But I remember that guy telling me it's like, well, you got to get him to the hospital. I got to get his finger back on. But I worked a lot of like pretty terrible industrial jobs like that for for a few years before I ended up joining the military around uh, 24, 25. So let's talk about that. Like, what what made you decide to join the military? I um I had been playing I had been playing in a few bands I had been playing um, with this kind of like experimental pop group uh, called Brer and uh, that was kind of starting to kind of come to its like logical conclusion um, and I had always been interested in being um, a pilot in the military I just didn't think it was it was an option for me and I. Um, I kind of did some quick research after I got laid off. I was working as an electrician's apprentice. I got laid off, and I found out that I still was old. I was still young enough to be able to do it. Um, and I kind of was laying in bed. And I was. I had moved back in with my parents, and I was laying in bed. And I got told, or I, I saw these uh, fighter planes fly over these A-10s from a, a Willow Grove Naval Air Station. It's now defunct out in uh, Horsham, PA. Um, I saw these planes fly over, and I just kind of went down to my family and announced that I was going to be joining the, the Air Force, uh, joining the, Nat, the Air National Guard, and that I was going to be a mechanic, and then I was going to become, I was going to finish my bachelor's degree and become a pilot, and my parents were kind of like, what, okay. Like, what specifically drew you towards that? I, I think I've just always liked military aviation. It's like the, I mean, everybody I think has parts of them interest that, that are, you know, maybe not everybody, maybe I'm, you know, unique in that way, but I have, definitely have these interests, um, the, you know, kind of the ocean being one of them, you know, sea life, and the other one being military aviation, there's things from when I was a kid that I could kind of never, um, could never sate my interest in with being away from them, so I had to, I felt like I had to get involved in one of them, 
um, you know, I had never picked up a wrench really, you know, in my life. So I was in over my head from the first day of trying to learn how to put these very complex machines back together and fix them. Um, but I, I mean, I guess I joined, uh, you know, it was as the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan were kind of winding down. And, you know, if you had asked me when I was leaving high school, you know, w you know, are you going to go join the military? I would have thought you were out of your mind. But now, um, it seemed, it seemed like you could, you could still ethically, you could, you could participate, you know, you could, you could join for the, for the right reasons. And I felt like I was doing it for the right reasons, which is that like, you know, I, you know, I care about my fellow man. I want to try to keep people safe. So, <laughs> so you've been, a romantic you, idea, you, I mean, it's romantic. I, I, I mean, like that's, I guess like uh, there's like three different lines of questioning I want to go off on from here, but I guess like um,
to, to keep it musical for a second, so you were in bands that were sort of drawing down or drawing to, like, it was a good time to make sort of a big life decision. Yeah, you know, I wasn't interested in playing with people anymore. Um, you know, I kind of, by that point, I had been around the, the Philly noise scene for a while, and I kind of... I, I didn't have any interest in, in sort of being somebody's, like, Brian Eno or somebody's, like... You know, I just didn't want to be the person that, like, you know, put the synth sound, like, the, the Steve Picaro to their toto, you know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't really want to do that. I never had any real interest or any earnest interest in pop music, and these people obviously did. So I, I didn't think it was fair to them and to me to kind of continue subjecting everybody to this. Um, and I, I had kind of flirted with making music on my own and but never really had the means to kind of uh releasing it and i really didn't um it took me a while to kind of make the inroads to you know people who who were like hey what you know i like what what you're doing what you're doing is you know valid not not <laughs> that almost it sounds like looking for validation but it's like you know if you're looking for somebody to put your music out that's essentially what it is you're looking for somebody to say like hey you know i think what you're doing is important enough that i want other people to hear it but yeah, that, that it just was kind of the right place and the right time for me to to step away from all that and make a big a big life change. And I didn't, I've never. And the thing about the guard is, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get sent other than to go to training and, and to deploy. I knew I was going to be like stationed around here so I could stay in Philadelphia, I could keep working and uh, work, you know, working on music. And I, I've absolutely been able to do that. Do you think they inform each other? Like, the work that you've been doing the last four or five years um, in the military and the music that you've been making? I mean, I've been, I've been overseas twice to some, to some interesting places. Um, those field recordings have absolutely made their way onto um, releases. The, the tape that's coming out of the train is uh, field recordings from Korea and Bulgaria. Um, or two places that not only would I probably not have ever gone to, but, um, you know, I... I there would have been no reason for me to go there otherwise. Which uh, Korea? Uh, the, the South Korea. <laughs> the, the Republic of Korea, not the Democratic People's uh, Republic. But, um, you know, a lot of it, you know, working around very loud aircraft has definitely informed what I'm doing. To, I mean, to some extent, it's impossible for it not to seep in. Um, the Hanson tape starts with, like... Um, a, a pretty good chunk of just loud um, General Electric F-110 engine just like running. It's a very abrasive. It's one of the most abrasive sounds I've ever heard, you know. And I've seen I've seen some of the best play live. <laughs> they're like and they're they're harsh, but they're not. They're, this is a, a totally it's another level of harshness. Um, so it's it's impossible that that stuff doesn't seep in, you know. Um, you know, even even just the sounds of like the all the weird alloys that they make these planes out of, you know, heating up and cooling off just makes some for some completely bizarre um, as it kind of you know reverberates in around the airplane. I've gotten some just fantastic recordings that way. I mean, so I guess like I'm trying to think of a good way to to phrase this but so you've been doing you've been stationed here more or less yeah since you joined up yeah my permanent duty station has been here but you're but you're going away I am I am uh, I'm going to pilot training so that will take me away for some time 
And and once you do pilot training, the ostensible thought is that then you will be deployed, right? I like mean, I, you, you, I, you know, yeah, not at a rate that's any more or any less than what I've been doing already. Um, I, I would think it would stand to reason with the, the, you know, the commitments the United States as a country has made around the world that, are, you know, I can say with some degree of certainty that uh, we'll be going overseas again sometime in the future. So I want you to, like... Because you're definitely the first military person I've I've interviewed on the podcast. And, like, you know, knowing you just sort of socially, like, you don't come across as a particularly hawkish individual. I guess I sort of... I'm, I'm interested in, in what's sort of driving you towards this. Sure. Um, you know, I think... I think there's the, there's an idea that people in the military are this like sort of monolithic um, caricature of uh, you know that that everybody kind of has the same beliefs and they kind of fall lockstep into them and not for nothing I mean part of the process of joining the military is going through some sort of basic training course where they they do try to homogenize your thinking at least in far, as far as like you know uh, discipline and good order goes. But they also expect you to some degree to be an independent thinker. So while there are absolutely the, you know, the, the hawkish people that you think of as being in the military, they're by no means uh, um, the majority. I mean, they are the people in the military, um, any branch are as nuanced as people you're going to be in any, any walk of life. If, if anything, they just tend to be people that are people that are slightly more deliberate about what they do. Um, they are, um, tend to be kind of like highly focused people. Um, they're people that, you know, you could describe as like, you know, every, everyone is definitely like nominally patriotic. There are people that, that do love America. Um, I mean, I love America. Right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, think it's, most people that live here do really yeah. on some level. Like it's right. like a pretty amazing place. Like, you know, and, and I think a lot of this is born out of like, people's frustration with the um, uh, the circumstances around the invasion of, of Iraq. I mean, and you can talk to plenty of people who are current former military who are going to have, who are going to definitely express their own frustrations in that regard about, you know, how that particular uh, conflict was prosecuted. So, like, you're doing a ton of stuff musically now, mm-hmm. and I guess all of that's going to be put on hold, or... I, you know... I already am so busy as it is, and I've I've kind of found time to do a lot of work. Um, you know, the, like I said, the limiting factor before was just kind of having people um, express interest in what I was doing, and now that um, it seems like people are starting to become, excuse me, a little more interested, you know, people are asking me to do releases, which is great. Um, I, oh, whatever. You're like, you're like a noise darling right now. People are so into what you're doing. I don't know about that, but I mean, but I'm definitely really happy about it. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, I, I'm sure I'm going to continue to be very busy, but I don't see that as being like a particularly limiting factor. Um, you know, I'll be able so to come back in, and play you, shows. You intend on continuing to make music while you're in training? Yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean, 
you know, be, you're not in training every second of your, you know, of your existence while you're there. I have to go back through uh, office to training school. I'm probably not going to be doing anything for those couple months, but I have several years of, of straight up training uh, ahead of me, and I'll have, there'll be plenty of weekends and nights to, uh, you know, to fire up, fire up the modular, fire up the tape machines, and and sort of see what happens. Do you want to talk about? what you're doing creatively right now and also how I guess you I the the sort of braiding between what you're doing career wise which is obviously also a passion of yours and the music that you're making sure I mean uh let's see I I did it it started when I did a tape for um, from Mistake by the Lake, um, which is uh, Cleveland, Ohio, Andrew yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Um So that you know that was that was sort of like a mix between field recordings uh, that were exclusively done on a, an iPhone, <laughs> and uh, and then just kind of the mix uh, you know, mixing some synthesis. Actually, not all, I don't think all of it was on an iPhone. Almost all of it was. Um, and then just sort of mixing um, some synthesizer, um, some modular synthesizer in there, more for processing than anything else. I don't don't really do a lot of straight up um, electronic sources. Although the the tape for No Rent that's coming out is, I think, all exclusively like stuff that was generated in in the uh, in the machine. But you know, it's it's like you know drawing. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. Again, I think I said this before. I don't know anything about visual art, but I imagine that, like, you know, a painter sort of looks at what he has, like, available, to, like, on his palette, and that's sort of what I do. I just kind of like look at what I have and say, like, all right, well, I've got these, you know, I've got these field recordings. I've actually got this great. It doesn't work right now, but I've got this great little module that lets me just kind of load wave files into it. Um, you know, they could be any length, and I can sort of step through them uh, with the with the sort of command signals, the CVs available um, in the modular system, which is great because I can, it, it makes the sort of dotist approach I have to composing, not through any like deliberate uh, you know, I'm not like an academic musician at all, it just kind of I just kind of realized, I'm like, oh, I don't you know, my approach to composing is just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks so it's kind of Facilitated that process made it even easier, or will when I get it working again. But um, I've tried, you know, I've tried to, for each of these releases to to do some something a little bit different. I don't want to be repetitive. I don't want people to be like, oh, that's the, you know, that's the field recording guy. That's the modular synth. I think you, especially if you play with a modular, you run into the right. You people think you're a modular guy, or you're a, or you're like a laptop guy. You know, somebody like. I, I always wonder if uh, Dave Sutton uh, LXV if he ever feels like people are like oh he's like a laptop because what Dave does is like unbelievable like I could never I could never do that I, mean, I, 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 really I, I, I don't that. think that most people are underestimating what Dave does but there probably are some yeah. I mean and I, I, I but I, I, I mean, if you feel that way you're already like a bonehead so right exactly <laughs> and I mean I think that I mean, you know, having I, I actually, you know, I haven't heard really your your recorded releases. I've seen you play a handful of times, and um, I think like like what's always interesting about seeing you 
play is that that you do seem to it, it's like you've got like a different setup every time I see you play or like you're like doing something like basically totally different well, that, than the last that, that's just like the panic that like so I have such a hard time like reproducing stuff live that like uh, like honestly like I've been the hour two hours before the show being like time to fucking figure this shit out because like I gotta come up with something to play tonight and you know <laughs> I mean sometimes it's like the necessity becomes the mother of invention and you come up with something that's you really like and other times it's like well that that didn't pan out you know if I, if I, game, if I game that one a 10% harder you know would have sounded good but and so you're you've never flown a plane before I've never no, flown a plane um, no, I have. Um, I've flown um, a Cessna a few times, uh, like maybe twenty, and then um, I've got a little. So bit the of... pilot training is not like teaching you how to fly; it's teaching you how to fly militarily. It's, is that how? Well, that's actually like a, that's actually a really good way of putting it. I mean, they are absolutely. They will take you from having never flown an airplane before, but they're teaching you to fly the military way, which is like a very specific, regimented way of doing it. Um, very intense way of learning. I like everything. They, they, they. You sort of learn under stress. They, they I guess that's somebody somewhere forty <laughs> years ago decided, or a hundred years ago, or whenever decided, like that having works. kids learn stuff under stress is a good way to teach them. You know, the I've never hit pushed a test on the veracity of that, but it probably probably had some merit to it. Maybe they try that at a regular four year college or something. Yeah, maybe I would have finished my bachelor's. <laughs> I just had something behind you just being like, no, no, not like that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, like, I guess, how does, how does, like, you're about to embark on this kind of, like, big thing. Like, how does that feel? Um, I mean, it's bittersweet. I definitely would love to, um, you know, like, I'd love to stay here and, and play a show every three or four weeks in, in Philly, New York, and D.C., and then do, like, a little tour every six months like I see so many of my friends do. Um, but I've been away from it before, and I know that I can come back to it. I know it's, like, not going to... Of gonna, course you can. It's not going to evaporate, so um, as long as I can keep releasing, you know, I'll come back on leave, and, and you know, I, I would love to, to hook up with some of my friends, you know. I, I, I would love to go on... Well, if I can, that's funny. Um... I would love to go do, like, little short tours with people. I think that would be fantastic. I mean, what a good friend of mine who, um, well, I guess we're not even that good friends anymore because I haven't seen him forever, but <laughs> he, he was good friends of mine at the time. His his girlfriend, who he married and has now divorced, got pregnant, and he joined the military, he joined the military band. Okay. Yeah, um, I know somebody that did that, too. They're in, like, the Navy band. Yeah. I forget, I forget which branch he was in, but he, so he, he spent, he's just getting out now, it's like almost like four years ago or whatever, like that he like left to go do stuff, and he's like been back around briefly or whatever, and the band that he was in was like just sort of starting to do stuff, right. he's a really great guitarist, and um, and now they've all, you know, everyone who else who was in his band is you know, either in other projects that are doing reasonably well or has, like, you know, become an adult and boring, or, but... <laughs> it but, happens. And so, like, now now he's sort of coming back into it. And not that I'm, like, doubting your ability to jump back into it because I, like, believe that, that anyone can, you yeah. know, like, that, that, you know, time is not such... You know, that, that it's, like... 
people people dip out for two years because they like acquire a drug ha- habit. You know what I mean? Like, it ha- like there's plenty of other reasons but that not, are less valid I mean, for like not being visible. But I feel like I'm not totally dropping out. Like, I'm going to continue releasing stuff. I'm going to play, you know, when I can. Um, there's so many. There's so many great people out there that I I want to work with more. Like I, I'm sort of becoming like amenable to the idea of playing with other people. Ryan, uh, Ryan Scott Kerr, who I think is like, I think he's like a really underappreciated person in the scene. And I, I think again, it's only because he hasn't really done many releases. Um, you know, Kerr and I are are going to do a release together as Parker uh, in a day. So you know. I, those, those kind of things. As long as you keep those irons in the fire and kind of keep keep things cooking, um, you know, you'll never. I don't think you'll ever really feel totally disconnected. I could be wrong. I could talk to you in a year and be like, I'm so alone out of here. But I mean, like that. That's not not necessarily what I'm implying at all. I actually think like within noise again because of sort of what you were talking about about the ability to make music totally by yourself and out of whatever you have at your disposal at the time makes it something that's... It's not the same as being a guitarist in a band where right, you, you have you to show up and practice every week and you need those right. people to be there for you when you get back. It's like you will be continuing to acquire sounds and, like, make stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely like, something it, I'm excited about. Yeah, like, there's like, so many opportunities to just go out and do recordings, you know, just walk out alone on a prairie and record something. So where where are you going? Uh, I don't know yet. I, um... They're gonna they're gonna cut my orders here. Classified. It's nothing cool. It's just a, it's more the military bu- uh, bureaucracy having not generated the necessary paperwork for me to know where I'm going yet. But um, I don't even know what I'm gonna fly yet. I won't know that until a year from now or so. I wanted to talk to you about wrestling, but I think we're actually well. Just give me a quick well, snapshot. On. <laughs> well, I mean, my 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 knowledge of wrestling is is uh, is not nearly what it what it uh, what what Jason's or someone like that. <laughs> I have I have much, much more. I'm just like I. This is like really bad for my podcast. I think because I've been like. <laughs> Do you, are you like ending every interview? It's like okay, now like enough with the bullshit. Like let's, like, let's talk let's about. Let's get into the meat of it. Yeah. What have you? So I actually I got the like contact info to try and interview the Bratzko brothers. Now can I ask you this again to tie not to tie in the McElroys again, but did you see the video of The Rock telling Griffin that he did a great job? No. Oh my goodness. So the guy, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda, I think is his name. Yeah. He, he's he wrote that play uh, Hamilton or yes, musical or whatever yes, it is. Yes. He's been getting celebrities to like um to like say like hey Griffin did a great job again. Yes, Carly yes, Rae Jepsen, yes. Tyra Banks. I heard I heard about the Carly Carly Rae Jepsen thing because yeah. Also, I listened to that album on the strength of Griffin. Oh, it's a it's and a great it's album. amazing. Now, Actually, Jess there's Cross's, something that'll pull me into pop music. Jess Cross's birthday, which we will both be at yes. later tonight. Jess Cross also put me like I heard the McElroys talking about. Well, really, I heard Griffin talking the, about Carly Rae. I'm not sure yeah. how you pronounce emotion? it. Emotion. I think it, it's just emotion. It, well, it's like it's got a lot of like dots yes, in it. it. Does. Yeah, it does. and I'm not sure if there's some kind of special way you pronounce it. And then Jess was like, "You have to listen to Carly Rae Jepsen," <laughs> and I was just like, "Wait, wait, wait!" Because she's like, "No, like it literally just sounds like it was made in '93, and yeah. it's like per like." And she was like, "You just have to listen to it." She also actually put me on to to Bieber. Um, Jess Cross's interview, I can't remember which number it is, but I'll, I'll list it in the notes. I've heard it. It's, but, uh, but yeah, 
she, uh, after the interview was over, made me watch four or five beauty videos as, as she dissected them. I can, I can promise you that that is not something that will be happening. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, actually The Rock really pissed me off at his last Raw segment because I didn't like his comments to Lana. <laughs> I was, like, pretty upset about that. Yeah, they, like, they've really been, like, doing the women pretty dirty of late, but... Well, actually, I feel like it's gotten better in the last, like, since Triple H became champ again, because Triple H loves the Eva's division. He just does. Like, he believes in it. Yeah, but, and, like, like, I, I don't know. The, like, I, I want the Divas thing to be, like, real. I want well, okay, so, so they are excited about it. Are you kidding me? Yeah. They chant women's wrestling <laughs> in NXT. Like, they, like... And also, I'm, like, really upset because I've been watching SmackDowns, but I didn't watch the last one, and there was a Sasha-Naomi match, and, like, I love Naomi, and, of course, I love Sasha. Anyways, um, (laughs) I'm gonna wrap it up because I'm just struggling, but, uh, you all are missing Christian's last show before it goes away, so feel bad about it, unless you were at the pharmacy, um, but, uh... Um, you know, keep your eyes out in the future. And thank you so much. Hey, lady. Hey, thanks, awesome. thanks for thanks for having me. I love this script. I think it was really good. We'll do one in a couple of years. And we'll yeah, see, we'll yeah. See how much I'd like to fly for Uncle Sam. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm gonna hold you to that.
All right, so that pretty much wraps up the interview. Um, you can find a list of the songs played in this episode, um, as well as links to um, find find and follow Christian and his you know future work over on the website, um, and also his list of inspiration slash stuff that you guys should listen to. It's all at the website. That's www.tastevampirepodcast.com. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, etc. You can email me at interviewplz at tastevampirepodcast.com. If you want to be interviewed, you can email me at music at tastevampirepodcast.com. If you would like to um, have your music played on a future episode, and you can email me at concerns at tastevampirepodcast.com if you'd like to bitch. Um, let's see. Um, my recommendations for this week, I'm not going to go into detail explaining why I'm recommending them, because I'm recording this on my cell phone, and I'd kind of rather keep the shitty sound quality to a minimum, but, um, the first song is Simple Detachment by a project called The Regional Curse. Uh, the second one is Not That Good by The Akmonics. And lastly, um, Caldera Annex by William Selman. Um, so I'll be posting those and where to listen to them on the website as well. Until um, next week, I'm Rosie. Thank you for listening to another episode of Taste Vampire. Vampire.